This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as a wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash DOF for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppsFlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppsFlyer's latest product, the incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsflyers.com. Really at Jam City, we want to treat the players first and foremost. We really care about their experiences. That comes down to ad quality and what type of ads they're seeing. We want to make sure that the performance is there. Waterfall management does take a lot of time. The big drawback is the back and forth with networks, obviously the uh, analysis behind it, and not always is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak. That was Kyle. Kyle is the Senior Director of Ad Monetization from Jam City, and he uses IronSource's platform to automate his monetization and grow game revenue. That is time that is really maximized and could theoretically be a 50 to 100% to 2x increase in overall ad revenue. Theoretically, Level Play just automates a lot of that. That is a huge time sink for a lot of our teams. Want to grow like Jam City? Get the SDK on ironslc.com. That's ironslc.com. <laughs> like last minute <laughs> yeah so hey folks uh welcome to twig 140 we're coming in last minute on everything adam just added his article uh that he's going to cover today which is ubisoft's next assassin creed will be a live service other articles we're going to cover today is drake star partners talks about game deals surpassing 60 billion in the first half of 2021 and we are going to talk about supercell secret for growing brawl stars to a one billion dollar success we got adam telfer eric kress myself mishka katkoff and eric suford is taking a knee he'll be back next week 
How's everybody doing in the heat? Good. Where, where are you now, Eric? You've moved your room. Oh, I I, I got um, taken out of my room by a house guest, so I'm uh, I'm in my living room. <laughs> uh, and now so you can have I'm, like kids running around like in the background. I'm, I'm, I'm waking up everyone in the house because I've been absolutely super loud since like seven in the morning. So <laughs> somebody has taken your super cellar. Uh, oh, dad! Yeah. Hey, I'm a I'm a dad. I'm a dad. I can do dad jokes all day. <laughs> yeah, how's 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 being a dad number two now? Double dad. Uh, it's a it's. It's a lot of work because the daycares here in Finland close in July. Like they're closed for the full month. So that's why the whole Finland and kind of like the Nordics closed down during the July month. But naturally, like I'm now the daycare. Like I'm now with my four-year-old all day, every day. And it's just, there's no breaks. There's just absolutely no. She yeah, I, I can't see based on your video how much sleep. Like I don't know how you do it. Like you stack a shooter startup on top of, you know, taking care of your daughter. 24 hours well, a day. it's impossible to work, to be honest. Like, this is my my sort of um, uh, a break hour now just to do mm-hmm. uh, a podcast, just talk a little, a little bit. Just, you know. <laughs> this is how you take your breaks? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, this is the max I can do, and, and my wife is, is tremendous, and so she's taking the hour now. You know, it's the evening, so they're cooking and doing a bunch of stuff. But it, other than that, it's like 23 hours a day of hanging out in the kids' park and doing that stuff, so... I'm enjoying it. Uh, as soon as daycares open up, I'm definitely going to enjoy that as well. <laughs> but, and, and what happens in the, in the Nordics when like everybody takes vacation at the exact yeah. same time? Yeah. So what happens is things close down. Like a lot of like a lot of companies are are basically. <sighs> so I'll just talk about game companies, and a lot of game companies have only like the skeleton crew there. Um, people just, you know, working on the back end and so forth. So everybody knows that they're going to take this month off. So there's a big push beforehand and yeah, there's not a lot of stuff being done during this month and you kind of have to stagger inside your teams, but I would say 80% of your workforce will be out in July. And I think it's weird. So it's not weird. I think it's very good for taking a break because when everybody is out, then everybody's out. Like there's nothing happening in the Slack. There's no emails coming in and there's, you know, only emergencies are are there. So everybody takes and takes that time out. Unlike in the US where, you know, people take days here and there and it kind of causes issues with the production because there's bottlenecks appearing and you're trying to solve them. Now everybody knows that people will be out. But I would do have to say that since we have half of our crew and soon more in Berlin, nobody's out and they're pushing hard. So it's nice to... <laughs> to have like in our company like at least two different settings so it's not european thing it's northern european thing although i'm sure all the berliners are enjoying the uh the weather and being outside of all of the uh, restrictions now too right yeah so i'm sure yeah. They're, they're barely working there yeah well no <laughs> but... <laughs> uh, okay let's move into updates um yeah. so the first big one um new nintendo switch hardware has been announced it's coming in october um, so the the big announcement here, it's got an increased screen, it's OLED, uh, and that's about it. <laughs> There's no better specs, no 4K support. It's not a lot, to be honest. Um, this is very incremental, even for Nintendo, who is known for having a pretty incremental hardware change every couple of years. But still here, what was the Switch launch? 2017. Um, now in 2021, we get a very, very small step up. Um, rumors are pointing to the reason being that NVIDIA's ongoing semi- 
semiconductor shortage. And I think Nintendo just wants to stay outside of that fight and, um, you know, have a, a, a console actually in stock for the holiday season, not getting pulled into the same issue as Sony or Microsoft um, going into their second holiday now. Uh, to be honest, if they weren't even going to upgrade the, the specs, the hardware just isn't strong enough to output at 4K. And I think, like, you can already see it. Games like Witcher can barely even run at 720p. Um, so, you know, unless they're willing to go beyond that 350 price tag, this wasn't going to work. I think um, overall, I think many games that are trying to port over to Switch right now are going to end up using things like this cloud tech instead of a direct port because you just can't make a game for Xbox Series X, PS5 with their SSDs and 4K uh, plus um, for, for those consoles and then port to a system like a Switch. It's just not going to happen. Uh, Eric, what do you think? Um, so my quick commentary on this device is it's exactly what I expect. It's almost exactly what I expected. I think the only disappointing thing for this stupid device is that it it only has 64 gigs of storage, which makes no sense because I don't think those are at risk. Maybe they are. Maybe there are some production problems there. But, I mean, it should be a minimum of 128, you know. I mean, it's ridiculous, I think. Um, I think kind of uh, people's expectations got ahead of themselves because of all this rumors in Bloomberg and... Um, and that's why people seem disappointed. But I think this thing's going to sell off the shelves. To be honest, I don't think. I think this like actually makes Nintendo's year much easier for them to make, particularly coming in, out in October. Um, the other good thing is that the LAN port actually allows for better online multiplayer, and I'm assuming that they're going to improve the Bluetooth functionality as well as the uh, Wi-Fi chip as well. So that could help um, with some of the issues with the online. So. I don't know. This is the same strategy they did for the DS and the 3DS, and it worked really well. And it it goes kind of with my whole thesis around Nintendo is that they're just going to do an iPhone model, and everything's going to be backwards compatible, and so they're not going to have a brand new hardware cycle and start from zero scratch all over again. Um, so I think this is pretty smart, generally speaking, for Nintendo. I'm surprised they actually didn't announce the Wi-Fi chip or Bluetooth upgrade. Because um, those are pretty, that, that would already convert me, myself, personally. Well, I, it's so bad that I, they have to. I mean, they just can't possibly use the same components, right? It's ridiculous, right? But the LAN port helps, right? You know, for those people that are, are that, that matters, you know, like the core. And so I think this is a perfect upgrade for Gen 1 Switch owners it, it, to, to just get something better, you know? Um, but yeah, I guess we haven't heard much about the specs at all, right? We haven't heard officially about the specs, I don't think. So we'll see. Yeah, other than they, they said if effectively CPU and RAM is going to be the same. Right, right. All right. Um, okay, so moving on to the next article. So former Blizzard developers open up a new real-time strategy studio for Tencent Games. Um, and I believe this is um, Lightspeed and Quantum. Um, so StarCraft II and Diablo IV, um, the designer and, say, producer team um, have left. And I think there's actually quite a bit of these kind of ex-Blizzard studios getting set up. Frost Giant Studios is another one that is also working on a real-time strategy game. So I, I think just in general, this just continues to point to Tencent being aggressive in acquiring or partnering with studios very, very early. Um, I think overall it's smart. Um, but given that they have, say, the pockets to to really spread their bets out um, and jump on these types of opportunities. Really only companies like Tencent can take advantage of this. And I think like the real-time strategy space and free-to-play PC console 
is pretty interesting. Like obviously there's a lot of history there, um, but real-time strategy as a multiplayer service, I think is pretty much get, getting uh, eaten up by MOBAs. Um, so League of Legends and Dota. Um, and I would assume this is roughly the same type of audience. So is there a way to kind of create a new feeling real-time strategy game that can kind of pull interest away from League or Dota? Um, that's a challenge, but um, you know, hopefully the the ex StarCraft two designers can can take another crack at this. Um, so second bit of news: Frank Sagnier and Rashid Rashid Varacha. I don't. I, I'm gonna butcher his name. Sorry. Uh, it's the CEO and CFO of Codemasters. Will step down in July. Um, so if you remember, uh, Codemasters was acquired officially by the EA in February, and it was announced late last year. Um, going up against take two um, so overall this timeline is extremely quick for um, these you know senior execs to, to leave the company um, their departure was always seen as part of the plan i guess um, that was the official stance but has been brought forward by the speed of codemasters integration into ea studios so yeah. all i can say is congrats to these guys um obviously like a great acquisition for them and i think codemasters will, will work out quite well within ea I find this really like interesting. <laughs> so, because we have two types of news with, that comes in with the acquisitions. Like, ones are the one <laughs> are the ones that welcome to the family, like the whole family shebang being being uh, talked about, and the other ones are these like a classical acquisitions where where you know this team and this line of products and services is now part of this giant corporation and, and that's it and i find that the uh, the main difference between those two i don't know what you guys think but i find the main difference is that uh for the companies that seem to acquire ones into the family they want the founders to stay but the for the companies like let's say the platicas and the zingas of the world as well as the eas usually like inside of a short span not quite as short as this one the CEO and and a couple other C suits tend to to leave. Like that seems to be the difference. If it's a family acquisition, you can kind of count on that the founders will be there. And if it's not the family acquisition, you can kind of count on that the uh, the CEO and and few other C folks will be made obsolete quite quickly. I'm just thinking about this. I'm thinking about Small Giant. I'm thinking about uh, seriously all of their um, all of their CEOs are are you know. Uh, moved on and you know very happily moved on but still moved on and then with the uh with the, let's say all the steel front acquisitions um the ceos are still there i think every deal is different and 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 the consideration is for where these people are in their you know in their careers and where what they want to do next right if they're serial entrepreneurs they probably want to move mm -hmm. on if they're you know want to keep their family quote unquote family i hate using the word family by the way family hold then they stay but, yeah. um, i don't know Everything, every yeah. deal is different. Yeah. Every deal is different. And every acquirer has been around for a long, long time, right? So yeah. this could just be part of their plan that they, they wanted to move on. Hmm. Um, but still, anyways, let's move on. So Clash Quest has soft launched in Canada. I noticed this because they started advertising to me. Um, so kudos, Supercell, you've caught me. Um, <laughs> in terms of, uh, you know, it's still too early to tell in terms of like revenue data. Um, but what's nice here is that before, I think we got some pretty unclean data with looking at the Finnish cohorts. Uh, but now within Canada, we can get a first good read of revenue per install. They've reached about 40 cents within the first seven days. Um, still, again, too early to tell. Um, and had roughly the same download curve as Clash Royale so far. So that was at about 60 cents at this point. Um, so I think the the key things to look at is where this RPI ends up. 
Um, they should be higher than Brawl Stars, given the economy of this game. So higher than 250 in the first three months and ideally higher than Empires and Puzzles, which I think is kind of the comp here. If we think about puzzle RPG, um, and that was roughly about 340. Um, yeah, so that's Clash Quest. Uh, De Dead by Daylight has now reached over 100,000 concurrent players, and that's five years after the launch. So uh, when I was actually checking this out, they are top 10 on Steam in terms of CCU, which is very, very impressive uh, for behavior. Um, and I think one of the key, key kind of pushes for this was their live calendar of slowly adding great IP to their service, uh, specifically Resident Evil pretty recently. Um, another bit of news from Sensor Tower, Nino Kuni, sorry, I, I don't know how to say it. Right. Um, Crossworlds races past 100 million in 11 days, which is faster than Pokemon Go. But to be honest, like we're, we're counting this in, in days based on estimated sources. You're looking at like Pokemon Go, Genshin Impact, all this type of growth curve, which is very, very impressive. Um, but uh, Pavel Mamov from um, the Deconstructor Fun Slack group actually made a pretty astute observation that App Annie has already had to make some corrections on this, and Sensor Tower may as well. Uh, so we'll see what happens, but still, you know, it's, it's unlikely to change just how impressive this game has come out of the gates. Um, I also don't really know anime, so I don't know whether uh, who this IP is, but my colleagues who do know anime IPs seem to think that Nino Kuni is actually not even a top IP, so it's actually relatively surprising, the performance of this game. Um, so it really points to the genre. This is a high-fidelity mobile MMORPG, so a la Lineage, um, which points uh, puts a lot better context around this. This is not like a Pokemon Go-style game. Um, so I don't have a ton of context over this game, what makes it successful. So if you do, you know, please hey, reach out. I actually no, Nino Kuni is a big IP that, that's been developed for DS and 3DS and... In Japan, in Japan. Yeah, but is it the top? Like, is it at the same level as something like a Pokemon? No, no, but it's no. but it's below. But it, it, yeah, of course. It, yeah, so but I'm assuming then that the IP is not top shelf. It's second tier, third tier. Okay, all right, that that may be. Again, I don't know if I. Someone, please correct me on this. What what tier of IP this is? Because uh, I really don't know anime. Um, but anyways, I'm, I'm left kind of wondering a few things. I think last week you guys reported on the Arm Nuzu report that high fidelity games yeah. are on the rise. Um, this has been kind of a long running trend in the East for a while now. And another one is that MMORPGs are really the biggest high fidelity games in the East, especially for monetization. And I think like the top game in this obviously being Dungeon Hunter Online. So if or when are MMORPGs actually going to become a thing in the West? And I'm thinking mainly mobile MMORPGs. Like so far, the West has even stumbled, I think, on the early stages, if this transition would be possible, right? Like a higher fidelity action RPG would almost need to be successful first. But as you guys covered last week, right, like most of these higher fidelity RPGs aren't really moving the needles. More cost effective, lower fidelity um, CCRPGs still rule the roost. So I'm wondering, you know, like when is this going to happen in the West? Is it just a matter of time or is it still going to be a long way out? All right. Um, a few updates on my side. So we got a we had a pretty interesting post on Deconstructor Fun newsletter. Uh, it was written by Oliver Jones, who's a co-founder and CEO at Bombay Play, and he was looking at the uh, the Indian market. So basically, he was talking about PUBG Mobile getting banned along with other Chinese-made games or, or games with uh, with a connection to China. And he was talking about the uh, the newest 
PUBG launching now under Crafton because Crafton was looking for a different type of publisher, but then, then they ended up launching the game themselves. And he was talking about the fact that there was a risk that even the Crafton's version of PUBG would get bad because of two reasons. One was that Tencent had an investment in Crafton, which is you know pretty peculiar because they only own, I think, 11% or something like that. And the second ones being that it's still kind of the same game. So the government sees that this is this is essentially the game that they just banned, but now published under a different uh, publisher. Uh, but nevertheless, I believe the game launched last week and it will be very interesting to see what happens to it. Like, will it be banned again? Because after all, we're talking about $1.2 billion market that is rapidly growing. So Indian market is very prominent. And, um, and it basically, you know, paints different scenarios of, of what can happen with the market. Like, will the market remind us or start reminding something of a Chinese market where in order to publish there, you essentially have to be greenlit by the Indian government or whether it will be something, you know, whether it, it was just a one off uh, as, as China and, and India were having a conflict. So anyways, um, suggest that you sign up to Deconstructor of Fun newsletter and I, I think I'll at some point, when I have a moment, uh, or if somebody can help me, I'll I'll probably um, just put these uh, interesting pieces that we had on newsletter into the uh, the blog format, so it's easier to share. Uh, second piece of update was Modern Times Group acquiring Play Simple in a five hundred and ten million dollar deal. So Modern Times Group, we had them on a podcast last week. Um, they are a Swedish-based uh, public company. They have acquired companies like Congregate, InnoGames, Hutch, and now Play Simple, which is an Indian-based uh, word game developer with $83 million, uh, in revenue last year and an adjusted EBITDA of $18 millions. So MTG said that the deal will be the deal will significantly strengthen their position in both casual game space and with female gaming audience. It will give them access to the growing word games genre and allow them to tap into the talent pool in in India. Uh, the $510 million deal was 77% cash and 23% of MTG class B shares. So MTG is, is known as 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 a still front as embracer as eg7 as one of those companies that are more like a holding company so um play simple will join now the mtg family uh if you, if you will uh eric any any updates on your side uh hopefully this works um let's see so tencent is getting creamed right now uh it's down like i don't know almost 15 20 over the past few weeks and well off its highs uh a while back um, and primarily because uh, China's regulatory groups are coming after them in, in a variety of different ways, where they blocked the merger of this um, streaming sites, Huya and Douyu, or whatever those are. Um, but also, they also name the uh, the Chinese authorities is naming hundreds of apps that are illegally and accessibly collecting personal information, and so which includes you know, lots of the lots of Tencent apps, but also ByteDance um, and Baidu as well. So anyway, so regulatory issues in China are, are going to continue to cause issues out there, which is no surprise, um, given it's China. The other one that was really good was the uh, Pokemon Go um, hit $5 billion in five years, which is truly remarkable, because with the exception of shooters, I think 
this is probably the one of the most innovative games that's come out in the last ten years since I've been following this comp- following the mobile market. You know, I think the mobile market is far less dynamic than most people, I guess, because basically people have been making better mousetraps for years. You know, whether it's social casino, puzzle, forex, RPGs, it's always more of an evolution than a revolution, in my opinion. But Pokemon Go was truly revolutionary, like a brand new way of playing a game with a perfect IP fit, um, and they're minting money as well. So. Um, both in North America, Europe, and Japan as well. It, I don't know, as Niantic, do you even need to make more games beyond this? Like, I think this is it. Like, you, you've got Pokemon Go, put every put every dollar you have into it, right? Um, like, build a whole other Pokemon game inside of this. Go to the moon. Like, I think Pokemon Go is actually structured closer to a collectible RPG. Um, so it is closer to AFK Arena. So I'd just be taking as many pages from that AFK Arena playbook and adding more and more value to your collection of Pokemon over time. Because I think this game could easily make another $5 billion. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, a truly, truly unique game. Um, should we jump in into the, um, into the articles? Eric, you want to talk about Drake Stars? Yeah, let's see if I can get my connection stable for five minutes anyway. Um, Drake Star put out partners put out just this piece about you know it's another pr piece but it was a really good pr piece finally um compared to some of the others we've been covering uh where deals surpassed 60 billion in the first half of 2021 um so basically halfway through the year the amount of gaming going into acquisitions and investments and in public offerings has nearly doubled for compared to all of last year 635 deals announced and closed during this time um financing continues to grow um you know the big deals, like the M&A deals, include like Bethesda, Moontown's acquisition by ByteDance, Gearbox, Embracer, and of course all these insanely valued deals from EA, $5 billion worth. Um, investments include Epic, Roblox, CryptoKitties, Forte, Dream, Manticore, um, and 19, 50 million plus type game uh, investments, Dream Games, VR Chat, Mythical Games, etc. And obviously the big IPOs. They say 37 announced IPOs, which is just crazy. PUBG's Crafton was announced. AppLovin, Playtica, Roblox, Huge, Nexters, Play Studios, Jam City, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so when asked, basically, Metzger, when asked, does he think there's going to be a slowdown after the pandemic, he basically says he doesn't expect any, right? Um, and he says some of the stocks are overvalued, but 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 some seem to be undervalued in some ways so anyway so he i don't he thinks that things will continue and the final point that he makes um that is that was that was insightful was that you know these deals are across all segments within interactive whether it's uh mobile it was more mobile in the past but now we're talking about enabling technology pc and console developers etc so it is pretty pretty uh you know a a wide different group of, of companies within gaming and as I said, this is a great PR article. I think it's something that is actually interesting. Unlike some of the other comp, uh, articles, it provides you know really well-researched information. And then it also puffs up the fabrics of Drake, which has done 28 of these deals over the last six months, right? And I met uh, Metzger briefly at a dinner with, uh, with Joseph in L.A., very super active in the space and pretty smart. Um, are you guys at all familiar with him? Have you met him before? I, I actually had the same experience I had that LA games dinner. And I met him at that with Joe um, seemed extremely smart when I chatted with him then, but I don't have any other insights other than what you just said. Yeah. 
so anyway, the toward pace of activity in the space is 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 continuing, and um, and the one piece, one part which I don't seem to have written down here is that. The really, the really insightful thing is that all these deals are happening on the on the investment side, which sets up for more activity in the M and A side as well as in in the IPO side. So, because all these investments, they're going to want exits, and so when you have all these investments, they got to go somewhere, right? And so, this kind of makes it, you know, it's like a self fulfilling prophecy to, and, and we we should continue to see activities with with some of these newer newer companies. So, um, yeah, so good good article. Um, and, uh, you know, shout out to Mr. Metzger, uh, who I should actually talk to once in a while, not come to think of it, but anyway, moving on, uh, Mishka. So Eric, do you think these valuations will continue to be so high and like, what's, I understand what's driving the high valuation and what's driving the sort of, a you know, uh, interest towards the games, but will this continue since we're essentially over the, uh, the COVID hump and things are clearly returning back to normal? Well, I mean, the valuations are still abnormal, right? For the, for the yeah. market in general, not not only gaming. So, I mean, that there there's definitely possibilities of correction on that front. But from the gaming specifically, we are over the hump. We're not really over the hump yet, right? Next quarter is going to be the big hump, right? Because that's the one that was artificially high. Uh, but the June quarter seems okay. So, um, I mean, we're seeing engagement fall pretty dramatically, but um, but but things look reasonably good. We still haven't seen the IDFA impact um, all that much because of the slow rollout. So that that will occur this in the next quarter. So I'm 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 still worried about next quarter. And if you actually look at some of the uh, uh, market data, it does not look good for some people, and it looks fine for others. So, um, <laughs> so that's my way of saying we're not out of the woods yet, right? Okay. So so basically, towards the end of the year we'll see some kind of a rebalancing of the um, of the valuation, in your opinion. Well, yeah. I mean, we're looking at app-loving getting destroyed right now. Um, and, Still? And Iron Source doesn't look very good. looks like kind of a broken IPO. Um, you know, I think some of these valuations are going to come back to back to life. Skills is getting destroyed again. Platika, you know, like, um, you know. And even like Embracer and Stillfront are starting to get hurt. Right. Um, so, you know, it, I think we'll get we'll get back to a normal, like fundamental look at the market. Right. The ones that do well will get rewarded. And the ones that don't are going to get punished. Right. So, yeah, yeah that I think and that helps me in my business, frankly. OK. All right. Well, let's talk about let's talk about um, Brawl Stars. So there was an article in Pocket Gamer. Uh, call with a title Supercell's secret for growing Brawl Stars to a 1 billion success. Now, of course, like any Pocket Gamer article, there's not really secrets shared nor insights, but it's still a, a very interesting article about a very interesting game. So what happens in this article is that they essentially interviewed uh, Supercell's game lead, Frank Kienberg, uh regarding the four-year anniversary of Brawl Stars and how it became a $1 billion success. And he talks about, you know, he talks about growing the audience in several regions that they didn't have there on their radar, such as Eastern Europe, Russia, Turkey, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they were talking about markets where they found uh, a lot of success and they weren't perhaps expecting so much success, such as South Korea. Um, interesting pieces that will most likely be taken 
not even out of context. They're just like unique pieces. Is is that Brawl Stars team is currently 26 members when they were doing this article with the goal of growing up to 30. Uh, so this number actually includes also functions like community management, data science, esports, player support, and QA. And it does not include marketing, which is located on the other side of the planet in San Francisco, Shanghai, and Seoul. So a tiny, tiny team compared to you know, anything that rem that is as remotely successful as Brawl Stars. Uh, he dives deeper into the live ops. So they talk about how they do updates in a, in a monthly or bi-monthly updates. Uh, what they add is, you know, brawlers, the skins, the maps, the game modes, the challenges. So essentially he describes that every couple of updates they're seeing, you know, every couple of updates, they add new features. Uh, in, in, in other words, when you look at the other uh, graph, the new features are being added about twice to three times a year. Uh, and then in the more uh, steady, kind of like a monthly by monthly rate, they're adding, uh, you know, new season passes. And then the season passes, you'll get the, um, the, the skins and, and the stuff and perhaps new characters. Uh, he talks about the pace of content being increased. And we know, of course, with any live op games and especially PVP live op games that the, uh, the amount of content that you need is constantly increasing and increasing and increasing. And, you know, he gave some number about how many skins they're doing, but you know, whatever. Uh, the most common word used in this article is community. So everything is always tied in the community and it makes all the sense because Frank's background is actually in player support starting in, in Blizzard and then he was actually player support lead in Supercell and then became the um, the uh, the game lead for Brawl Stars and his focus is, is, you know, naturally very community inclined and that's why a lot of the new features that have been adding are very... Um, user content generation type and, and very much in, in interaction with the community. Um, he's also mentioned that the game is now bigger than at launch, so at 2021, and shares some numbers that really, you know, let's be honest, don't really tell anything except that the game has tremendous amount of DAU. He says three KPIs are 20 million participants in monthly Brawl Stars eSport challenge. Uh, if this is the way I would function in, in, in Clash Royale, then I believe like pretty much everybody who plays the game uh, enters the, uh, the, the challenge if they do an event. Uh, he talks about having 10 million YouTube subscribers, which is a really, really, really nice number, and talks about 250 million players player-created maps in their new map maker feature. So a lot of, a lot of you know, a lot of people making maps. Anyway, let's jump into the key takeaways. So the, the reason for these type of articles, and especially this one, is naturally hiring because Supercell doesn't need money. Money, They're not looking for investments, nor are they trying to sell the company. That has been already done twice. So I think they're very happy where they are. So, uh, you know, and when you think about the team of 30 working on a billion dollar game, uh, there's two type of companies that are reading this. So the big companies, they should definitely take a note on the efficiency and especially on the level of talent. If you have as great of a talent as Supercell does, you can have smaller team sizes and reach higher efficiency. And also having worked at, like a lot of people listening to this one have, have also worked in big companies and they know that the number one way to kill any project is to grow too fast. So there's definitely a learning in terms of team size and that you can achieve quite a lot with a with a comparatively smaller team size, assuming that everybody on your team is an absolute monster. Now, smaller companies will read this and they will assume that all you need is about 30 people to make a billion dollar game. That 
is not true. Uh, so please, small companies, don't take notes on this because while you can make a similar game with a small team, uh, you know you have to take it into account that Supercell has spent hundreds of millions of dollars promoting this game and growing this game, and their ability to publish a game is is you know second to none. So we've actually documented on on Deconstructor Fun. Uh, the road to launch for Brawl Stars. And even as they were going through their very, very long soft launch period, you, they only, you know, they the numbers got better after they were able to scale larger than they scale normally game, their game. So in other words, they started with Canada iOS only, and that didn't really work. So they were, a, when, when they started scaling to other countries and Android, only then they were able to see how this type of a PvP game can actually scale. So even seeing good numbers requires a pretty, high scale now finally i was looking a lot on on the uh sensor tower data because in this article of course there's no criticism there's no you know tough questions being asked um and when i look at the graphs on sensor tower you can see that the uh, the growth for this game in terms of revenue really occurs when the new features are released so they are very good at at understanding what kind of features drive the game and improve the game uh, but also, you can see that the updates are too far between to sustain this growth. And there's a decline after, um, and the decline kind of happens before the next meaningful update hits the game. Uh, you can see how the seasons affect the, the game's revenue, and they are shark fins at best, and they're unable to essentially grow the game, but they're, they're kind of slowing down the pace of decline after one big successful update has been done. Now, they're also in the risk of missing if they miss their mark on a big feature it's going to be several several months before of decline before they were able to actually return back to a growth path and you know it's um it's it's the game is not growing based on the sensor tower data and i was actually pulling a bunch of different pvp games like garena free fire call of duty mobile comparing how their growth paths and, and updates are are affecting and what you can see in ball stars is that they're sustaining a very very high level for a very very small team but my argument would be that even though they are now pound for pound best team i'd argue that with a team of 60 they'd be able to put in more meaningful features every quarter instead of every second quarter and through that actually get on a growth path instead of maintaining their very very impressive numbers now, we have actually an episode coming later, probably next week or a week after that, where we sat down with um, Call, of Duty, Call, of, Call of Duty Mobile's GM and Activision's head of mobile. And, they were, and I was asking them a bunch of questions about how they are, were able to turn the, the, uh, the growth around. And what, what they pinpointed was that, you know, it was pace of content. How much, like how much content they needed was was insane, and they keep on adding more and more. They're making their season shorter, so that there's there's constantly new stuff coming in. And I understand that Call of Duty Mobile is at least ten times larger team size than Brawl Stars, but also it has surpassed Brawl Stars uh, in revenue since August 2020, and they are growing quarter over quarter. So I think you know there's ton of great learnings in this article. Uh, especially on the efficiency of a smaller team and if that team is super talented. But I would still kind of, you know, kind of go back to, to saying that you actually need larger teams and it's uh, in order to, to grow and, and not maintain. But they're doing a fantastic job 
at maintaining with the small team size that they that they have. Adam, what do you think? Yeah, um, just to really hit that over the head, right? Like, we love you, Supercell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you make amazing games, and like the fact that this game is going to hit a billion dollars is incredible, right? Um, I think you challenge a lot of what our assumptions are on the market. All we can say is like, grow this team, feed this beast even more. This live service could take, you know, double the amount of content, triple, quadruple the amount of content, and um, be a successful game. So invest in this team, um, grow from thirty to forty, right? Um, be slow, hire the right people, keep that talent density. But uh, it, they could do a lot more with with Brawl Stars, and I don't think that should be a knock on that that studio or that team. Um, it's a great game because I think like in general, sometimes we can be very critical, very negative here. Um, and we throw Brawl Stars under the bus a little bit too much. Um, cause I, yeah, in general, I don't think it's too weird that Frank put it out. You know, he's just trying to build a brand and do some hiring. Great. Um, and you know, I, I've never built a game near the success of Brawl Stars and probably never will. Um, they fought out cancellation. They found success through esports and, and Asia expansion. And again, for a team this size, they've been able to operate pretty successfully against guys like Tencent. Um, so they're in a pretty defensible position, which is great. And on the flip side as well, we praise a lot of the HD games. So like games like Apex Legends and Fortnite, while throwing Brawl Stars under the bus for a slow content cadence. But to be honest, this operates very closely to a HD game, right? Like Apex, Warzone, Fortnite, all have the same risks that you mentioned. They, they might have a crappy season or a crappy update. And yeah, then they get drops in player numbers, drops in player engagement, and then they end up having to invest more in that next season to pull those player back. Um, that becomes costly, but is not impossible. And shark fins, I think, is just the model. It's not the signal. It's not working. It's just that's the model. So Call of Duty, Free Fire, PUBG, um, PUBG Mobile, obviously, are going to be the best at this model. But as we've said a thousand times before, those games also take a thousand people to fuel that type of growth. Um, so more community, slower, big content cadence, more dependent on content drops. This is, this is almost a typical PC console free to play game. And I think there's definitely room to grow. Um, they've also done a ton of smart things. I think the call out about UGC maps was great, uh, leverage the community the best you can. Um, but still it's all about quality. So hopefully you can augment on top of that enough new maps. And I think getting dedicated designers is a good idea. Um, and it looks like they're learning a lot. Like it, it's great to see that they're increased focus on more cosmetics content, that they're growing, you know, you know, their their content investments. But still, like 2020 was fueled by COVID. So this is really going to be a telling time for them, 2021, 2022. And they're going to need to overperform relative to their current expectations. And again, just do more, more maps, more characters, more features. I think the better thing that they can really do here is add in new progression systems and depth to their loadout systems that can create whole new areas for them to be able to drop new assets in their live content. Because I think beating that same drum over and over again is gonna get diminishing returns. I think you're gonna run out of design space for some of these things. So the best thing you can do, like most live ops games, like they did with, with uh, Clash of Clans is to add depth to that economy well by adding in new progression vectors uh, that they can actually you know add meaningful new content to so you know overall can't agree much more with the main point here this is a supercell only level success story it's an excellent team extremely fun game but absolutely not recommended for another 30-man team to assume that they can repeat the success like without supercell's brand value growth engine and talent density 
I think anyone attempting to retread these steps will just find that they need, again, as you said, 10x the fuel and 10x the content cadence to correct for that kind of like lower insults. Yeah. I, 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 I want to just reiterate that point. This game is absolutely a massive success, but only Supercell can really pull this off, right? And um, as an independent developer, this is not the model, right? Uh, I don't know if this, if anybody could replicate the success that they have with, you know, their huge user base. All right, so let's go to the last article. This one I pulled together in 10 minutes before starting recording, so I apologize if I'm a little bit unprepared here. Um, but it's really interesting news, and I felt like it was it's worth bringing up on the podcast. So Ubisoft's next Assassin's Creed game will be a live service game. This is reported on by Polygon, and I'm sure there's going to be a whole ton of new headlines um, and, and pullouts here. Um, but they've announced that Assassin's Creed Infinity will be the next title in the series and will actually contain multiple historical settings all within itself and will join the likes of Fortnite Apex Legends by offering ongoing updates to keep players engaged. It is going to be built by a collaborative cross-studio structure between Ubisoft Montreal and Ubisoft Correct. Uh, Quebec and will guide, grow, and evolve and define the overall future of Assassin's Creed that includes an, an upcoming early in development project codenamed Assassin's Creed Infinity. So this is this is bold, right? Like I, um, I really applaud them for this. I think really like if you look at the, the history of Ubisoft in this space, they've had some recent missteps in live service, specifically Division 2 and Ghost Recon Breakpoint. It seems like they, they were both you know, ending up in a profitable enough space that Ubisoft is willing to double down on this direction. And again, this is bold, risky, but can definitely pay off. Assassin's Creed, including Valhalla, have all done extremely well recently. And like in terms of performance, they've all sold extremely well. Lots of units sold and are top of the pack in terms of live ser service revenue on top. Um, so while these games are not God of War, are not Spider-Man, um, they do extremely well given the the audience size of these games. So this has kind of been their cash cow for it. So for them to kind of say, let's go live service direction with Assassin's Creed is bold. Um, these guys have found a winning formula of a story-driven action RPG and content DLC plans and, you know, small microtransactions on top that makes sense. And not many developers have found this balance. So going beyond this is going to be risky. So they want to push this further with a massive action RPG service that looks like it's going to be a platform for Assassin's Creed's to come. Um, Ubisoft is, you know, uh, as I said, like likely to make some mistakes here, but is known for sticking it out for live services and learning over time. So Rainbow Six Siege did claw back from a pretty dismal launch, and Ubisoft does stick with services for a long time, even in the case of, say, For Honor, where the success, the success is not nearly as large as Rainbow Six Siege. So how could a service like this actually work? There is actually like a wide range of outcomes and viable paths here, but each come with a ton of risks. If I just kind of look at the two extremes, they could just build basically a platform for their current model where you pay for each world, you pay for expansions, um, and you just kind of add a service tissue in between, um, connected tissue that allows you to buy the cosmetics and progression boosters all kind of uh, within that main island. This would leverage a lot of what they've already done and just feel like a modular Assassin's Creed platform. Overall, this would be pretty safe, no build on what they know, but fairly limited upside. 
the full crazy risky model would be to sh shifting to paying for progress in many other ways, right? They, they'd offer all that content actually for free, but then sell things in other ways. This would be far riskier, but of course, a much larger payoff if done correctly. And would also require a lot of rethinking of their content development model and likely the talent they're using to build the team since the team would actually have to change pretty dramatically. So my assumption is they're going to go closer to that current model um, than the, the crazier, riskier model. Um, but then again, they keep surprising me, right? Like the free-to-play um, division game being quite large and now this. Um, Ubisoft, you, you know, you're very, very bold. And I would say I'd be very interested to, what you, to, to see what you're thinking here. Um, it's definitely a fun time to be in console games. Uh, I don't know how this works with a third-person open-world game, and 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 it certainly hasn't been done before. But um, you know, we we shall see if uh, if they can execute against this. I think there's a lot of issues going on at UB right now, and so this seems a little bit over their over their skis or whatever the expression is. Um, and I don't think the consumer really wants it, uh, particularly Assassin's Creed fans. So it's going to be a challenge to get this thing done and done properly, so that the you don't see a huge revolt from 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 their fan base, um, so they have to be pretty delicate about it. And the team itself is not really experienced at doing live services, so uh, we shall see how they how they execute against it. But it feels a little bit forced fit, kind of similar to what they did with Ghost Recon, which was blew up in their face. But hopefully they've learned their lesson. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's kind of makes sense. Like you're trying to make bold moves, and everybody's is trying to do something really big, and and this is one of those very big. Uh, undertakings, they, they, you know, Ubisoft. I, I, Adam, you mentioned that Ubisoft kind of sticks to their guns and with certain games. But I remember there was this uh, battle royale game. I think that launched last year. That was Hyperspace or Hi Hyperscape. Uh, they kind of bailed on that really quickly. So it, it's kind of hit and miss. But I think with uh, with an Assassin's Creed and Division type of franchises, and the uh, of course the Rainbow Six, they will truly try to see this through. So I'm I'm at least uh, very excited for what may come out of this. Yeah, I don't know. Like, if look, I'm I'm not nearly as much of a risk taker mm -hmm. um, with these types of things. Like, if I were to have looked at Ubisoft strategy, I would have kept Assassin's Creed, continued to build out that kind of yearly franchise, which was like is already extremely profitable, right? And then go for the kind of live service free to play um, for the games that make sense. Um, so Rainbow Six Siege being the obvious one, and for you know, I'm start investing in Division, sure. Um, but this is bold, right? Like going, like taking your cash cow, shifting it over to be a live service. Um, absolutely has risk on backlash. I pretty much guarantee it that there's going to be massive backlash at launch, mm -hmm. and then it's just going to be a matter of of the people that that come in and accept uh, what type of service this is. Can they end up making more revenue and uh, higher engagement from those players? Um, that actually do show up so yeah no it's it's risky it's not what i would have done but um I, i'm absolutely curious to see how they execute against it yeah well on that note i think we we were able to go through the full episode we lost eric about 15 times during this uh, so hopefully everything is is good with the uh, with the sound quality um thank you everybody for listening hope you are enjoying the heat waves uh stay hydrated play games, and tune in next week.